Hello, this is the Ether Podcast. I'm Rodrigo. And this is Ryan. And this is Rachel. And today we're continuing our series in Mark. Today we're in Mark 10, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to talk about divorce. Mm. Uh, before we recorded this podcast, we had a lot of discussions whether this was a topic we should cover. And basically the philosophy we adopted is that we need to go where the scriptures take us. Yeah. So... We're discussing divorce today, and there's a few disclaimers that we need to give before we start. We're actually doing this in two parts, mainly because this is a controversial topic. It's a topic that has a lot of opinions and questions that swirl around the, the topic of divorce. And so in this particular podcast, we're not going to address all of the issues and the questions. We're really going to talk about divorce in as far as the scripture, which the scripture we're looking at today is Mark 10, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to talk about that scripture. We're going to talk, some, talk about some scriptures in the Old Testament and talk about divorce, uh, I guess, theologically as a whole. And then next week, we're actually going to have a guest that's a little bit more of a, an expert in this issue. We're sort of going to walk us through a lot of the issues and opinions that surround this topic. Uh, that being said, I personally feel, um, I guess, attached to this topic. I myself come from a family that went through a divorce. And I can say with a, with a great deal of confidence that a lot of my... Uh, deficiencies as a human and <laughs> my emotional defici deficiencies stem a lot from having come from a broken family. And so, you know, the, the topic of marriage and the topic of marriage in general has been in the news a lot in the past few years, more revolving around gay marriage uh, in the recent years. But the reality is, is that divorce is, if you look at the numbers, a bigger issue than gay marriage is. Uh, depending on who you ask, which again, this is something of controversy as well, the divorce rate is anywhere between 40 to 51%. Nobody's really sure what it is or how to count it, uh, but it's somewhere around there. And so there's a lot of people out there that get married and then their marriage ends and in as far as marriage is concerned, it's a big deal. There's also been a lot of uh, studies done as to what happens to the children that come from divorced families. And by and large, it seems to affect people in a negative way. Uh, that's also not the case for everybody. But research seems to point to the fact that the majority of people that come from a divorced family, at the very least, are more likely to have a divorce themselves. So with that being said, this is a very important topic. I think it's a very uh, relevant topic to our society and our, and I guess uh, to our lives as a whole. And so we're going to tackle it as best as we can from a biblical standpoint. Sounds good. Sounds cool. good. Yeah, that's a very tough topic because everybody seems to, to read it and interpret it a different way. But I think what you said starting off is that it touches so many of our lives 
and we've all got friends, we've all got family, we've all got people that we know who've gone through divorce, who have encountered this. And that builds up a lot of uh, history, a lot of connection to the topic. And it means that we read a lot of the scripture into our own situation or read our situation into the top, into the, the scriptures, which can flavor what the scriptures say. So it's hard to read without some sort of tinted lens. And so it's good to be able to try and pull our lenses away and see what does the scripture say? And then next week kind of dive into well, what does that mean for us? How should we take this now in a society that, that has such a high divorce rate and, and seems to regard itself in the way that it does for better or worse? Yeah. Well, I think that brings me kind of to the first question I wanted to ask you guys was prior to, you know, researching this for this discussion, what were the lenses you guys brought to this scripture prior to kind of digging deeper? Hmm. Well, I'll go first then. Or well, you want to go? Go ahead, Ryan. Well, just to be honest, I, I called Rod yesterday and told him I didn't want to do it. Um, just because, <laughs> because um, I've got, I got a brother and a sister who have both gone through a divorce and more than the div- divorce causing pain, which it did obviously and, and clearly. And, and there's a lot that goes into that. I think some of the responses from Christians about that fact caused a significant amount of pain, if not an equal amount. And so it's been one of those things that has really touched my family in a personal way. And it, and so I'm nervous to talk about this topic because while I'm close to divorced people, I haven't gone through a divorce personally and I never will. Um, uh, Lord willing. Um, but it, it doesn't mean that you know how to handle it the best way. At least I don't. Um, and so I don't want to say anything that could be misconstrued or taken out of context or um, said in the wrong way, because I know that there's so much opinion and so much emotion that's wrapped up into this topic. And so I'm coming with it to it very hesitantly and very much wanting to, to be gentle and, and aware of the sensitivity that this this topic really brings. Mm. Uh, well, let me just really back up many, many years. Like As I shared before, I feel like um, when I became a Christian, it, it was a great deal of comfort to sort of by find out the biblical perspective on divorce, especially since I was beginning to understand the expectation that I was supposed to have for a marriage and that when I was going to enter that relationship, it was really going to be to make it work for life. And I think because I think I grew with a lot of the pain and the complications of coming from a broken family my perspective was always one um i guess in which the expectation that god lays down for marriage i saw it as a good thing 
because again, because I had come from a broken family, I was like, oh man, like God wants marriage to be the sacred thing. Mm. And barring certain scenarios, divorce shouldn't happen. And so having become a Christian later on in life, well, later on, like in my, when I was 19, in <laughs> yeah. uh, thinking of a future in which I was going to get married, to me, it was very encouraging and at the same time challenging and somewhat scary to understand like, man, in the eyes of God, marriage is a sacred thing and it's supposed to be uh, one of the the most committed commitments that you have in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's a, and that's how we should look at it. So, um, so yeah, and at the same time, I think recently over the past 10 years, um, in sort of knowing that this scripture creates a lot of different feelings in people. And again, there's a lot of, it's a controversial topic. It's, it's one that certainly at least seems hard to settle in a way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, and again, it's, it's, it's difficult because I've encountered personally people that I respect and people whose opinions and biblical teachings I respect that have very different views in scriptures that touch on the topic of divorce. And mm-hmm. so I think that being said, I think I've always, like Ryan, I've understood that this topic is to be approached gently (laughs) so that's what we're going to attempt to do Mm -hmm. here well i think this is good because you guys both bring different perspectives different personal experiences and so i think it'll be good because it it's sort of you know is a spectrum of experience that's here so i think that's good it would be good to start off um, by reading the scripture so rachel if you could read i guess mark 10 verses 1 through 12. Okay. It says, And then he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All right. I think to to really be able to explain the scripture, we got to take a good number of steps back. Talk a little bit about, I guess, marriage in the ancient world, both from a New Testament and an Old Testament perspective. And I guess go from there would be the I, the wisest thing is what I would say. Hmm. So the the scripture 
in the Old Testament that Jesus alludes to is in Deuteronomy 24, uh, verses 1 through 4. And it's pretty much what the Pharisees say it is. It says that it basically gives the instruction that if a man wants to divorce his wife, he's to ask for a certificate of divorce, and then it gives a little bit more instruction. But I think there's a few things that I think we really have to understand. And this was true for very ancient times, again, going back to the Old Testament, and even the time of Jesus. Um, divorce seems to have been a fairly common thing. And I think it's interesting that even when Jesus addresses this, and when he comments on the scripture in Deuteronomy, he says that God basically allowed for divorce because of people's hard hearts. Mm. And I think one of the things that we really have to understand, not just about divorce, but about marriage, is that even in Jesus' time, and even way before that, marriage for a woman for lack of a better way to describe it, was basically social security. Mm. Marriage for a woman is how they would be financially uh, stable. Mm -hmm. uh, most women couldn't work, and most, most women weren't trained in a trade. So most women relied on their husbands and their families to have a living, a woman was protected by her marriage. Uh, the whole idea of marriage was that a woman was basically going from her family, who up until the point of her marriage would protect her, to a husband that would now protect her and provide for her. So marriage was really a way to ensure a woman's financial well-being, physical well-being, all kinds of well-being. So divorce was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Because if a woman exited the, the safety of marriage, then she would sort of be left out to dry. And I was reading some commentaries about the scripture in Deuteronomy and even the fact that in order for um, divorce to happen, a certificate would have to be drawn out. But that certificate was sort of a... It's still ensuring some safeties for a woman. That the fact that it wasn't just this willy-nilly process that a man... And in the scripture in Deuteronomy, it says that the man, if he found offense in his wife, meaning that he had to have a good reason. Mm -hmm. And it's a good reason that would have to be justified by the people providing the certificate. Like, he couldn't just wake up one day and go like, hey, I want to divorce this woman. Uh, because of X, Y, or because of any loose reasons, if you will. Like, it had to be like a well-justified right. thing. And so, even in the Old Testament, I think the, the divorce was something that wasn't supposed to just happen willy-nilly. There was supposed to be a reason. But at the same time, I think, let me take even one more step back. In the eyes of God, marriage is a big deal because it's one way in which two completely separate people become one. And even though there's a social and communal aspect of marriage, 
that in the eyes of the community, in the eyes of society, these people are now together. There's sort of also a spiritual, theological one in which God is literally taking two people and making them mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. To God, marriage is a huge deal. So much so that all throughout the Bible, he uses the metaphor of marriage to describe his relationship to, to Israel in the Old Testament, his relationship to the church in the New Testament. Like, he uses this whole concept of marriage to describe some of his most uh, endearing and special relationships mm -hmm. that he has in the Bible. So, to God, marriage is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we always have to go back to the the original idea that God is love and, and ask ourselves, no matter what the scripture is saying, ask, how does this show or is evidence of the love of God? How does this point to the heart and character of God? And when we start with that understanding of God being love, then so many more passages start to, to make sense in ways that we did not, didn't expect. And I think with our modern context of, of seeing that a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce sounds like this is an official process, this is done kind of thing. We don't tend to look beyond and, and understand what this is actually saying. Um, one interesting example, and this may sound like I'm getting away from the topic of um, at hand, is um, a, a pretty harsh scripture in Deuteronomy 22, um, where they, they are laying out a bunch of different rules, a bunch of different laws. And a number of people have looked at this particular passage and said, what this seems to be suggesting is the institutionalization of, um, of rape. And, and so in Deuteronomy 22, there's a, a, uh, a verse in verse 28, it says, if a man meets a virgin who's not uh, betrothed or not married uh, and seizes her and lies with her and they're found, then the man who lay with her shall give to her the father of the young woman 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has violated her and he may not divorce her all his days. And that's been another controversial scripture because it seems to be permitting this idea where a guy can can take any girl and do what he wants to her and all he has to do is is pay and, and marry her but when we stop and we say god is love what what is this teaching us and it's not saying that god approves of this this behavior it's saying when this occurs here's what i want you to do in order for there to be some sort of love for my people or to take care of people what you need to do in this particular situation is you're going to marry this person. You're going to take care of her and you are required to watch over her for the rest of her life that you can't go around and do something to someone, violate her and make her essentially damaged goods in the eyes of the society and just say, that's okay. Right. No, you are expected and required to now take care of her for the rest of her life. And you may not divorce her, for all of your days. 
And so what we end up having here, as we are reading some of these other verses in um, Deuteronomy 22 and Mark, what we're seeing is this idea of God promoting and ensuring the protection of people. And so many scriptures throughout all of the Bible get away from the topic of marriage. The idea is about protecting people and taking care of people who are unable to take care of themselves. And so there are laws, whether it's um, protecting women, protecting children, protecting widows, protecting uh, uh, foreigners or homeless in your land, that there's so much that God is, is trying to do to ensure that people will be taken care of and not taken advantage of. Um, and so I think understanding that, that we have to start with this from this place of God wants people to be taken care of and God wants people to be loved and honored, that it, it starts changing the way that we understand some of these seemingly archaic rules and seemingly archaic um, laws that are out there. Right. You know, you, you mentioned something, Ryan, that I think is very important to understand and that there are things that God doesn't want, but that he does make provisions for. Hmm. So obviously rape isn't something that God totally. wants, but he does make a provision for what happens when it happens. Right. And very obviously, divorce is not something that he wants, but he makes a provision for what happens when that happens. And again, even when Jesus addresses, and he's interpreting the scripture in Deuteronomy 24, what he tells the Pharisees is like, listen, Moses had to make this law because of your hard hearts, because of your mm -hmm. sin, basically. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't want sin, but I think he also understands that we're sinful, and so he provides solutions, if you will, for when sin happens. And I think even that t says a lot about his care for us, about his love, about, and if I think above anything, about his understanding of our nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think um, so much of what is in the Bible, obviously the Bible was written to particular people in a certain time period of a certain culture. And because we are not part of that anymore, we can really lose that connection of what did things mean to the people when they were being spoken. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I think we can all agree that you read Genesis 1 and the way that God created the world and then something went very wrong. <laughs> and the world did not go the way God had planned for it. And as you were referencing, Rodrigo, women were very vulnerable, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, and as you guys both have stated um, if God is wanting to protect people, he's choosing to use the avenue that the society already has in protection, which is marriage. Um, and we can assume, I guess, from this scripture that divorce was happening. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, and just like we talked about in the last podcast, Jesus is always about redefining things, you know, redefining. So this is happening, but let me redefine it for you. Um, so when it comes to the divorce, you know, I find it interesting, the question that they ask that, you know, how they start off because they are trying to test Jesus, right? Because again, they're coming from a school of thought from the scriptures that we've talked about. Um, and Jesus flips it back on them. You know, he doesn't necessarily answer their question right away. Right. Um, but really forces them to answer their own question in a sense. Um, so talk to talk more about this whole exchange of Jesus and the Pharisees and just the way he draws them in to this conversation and how he leads it. Well, it starts out with Pharisees coming up and, and, and testing Jesus. And what we see a lot in historical accounts is that this was a not necessarily an opposition to Jesus, but it's, we want to know who you are. We want to know some of your philosophies and we also want to debate with you. Um, there's so much in the old Testament, what modern Christians have is such a small portion of what old Testament Jews used that you had the, the books of the Bible or books of the, the Tanakh, um, which was the Jewish Jewish religious scriptures. Then you had a couple of additional pieces of religious literature that surrounded these, and as commentary surrounding the what you and I know of as the Old Testament. And basically, it's it's over time, you and I have read the the scriptures, and we've come up with illustrations and analogies and ways to describe what we're reading in these laws. And we're coming up with ways to really clarify um, to a greater degree. We're giving further input. We're connecting stories with these, these lessons. And you end up getting a couple of different literature pieces that, that were created by discussion by back and forth debate. And so here we see Jesus and Pharisees of the day continuing that habit and that practice of let's discuss this. What does this mean to you? Um, Obviously through our, our later context and knowing that Jesus is going to be killed by the religious leaders of the day, we tend to look of this at this as opposition. That's not necessarily what it was. Um, I can't speak for all the guys that came up. Maybe some of these guys already hated Jesus. But what we see is them putting forth a, a question that was meant to, to, to push him to one side of a line or the other and, and, and sort of have Jesus put his flag in the ground and say, this is where I stand on this issue. And what we have is, is, is we see Jesus putting it back on them and getting back to the heart of God of God is about love. And the only reason that this law exists in the first place is because you guys are looking 
for a way to get away from God's law, love. You're looking for some kind of loophole. You're looking for some sort of way to escape what he's already laid out. And so trying to, to push away the, the humanistic perspective that tends to cloud so many things. And we see Jesus doing this again and again. We saw it in our last couple of podcasts where we discussed about Peter and Jesus referring to Peter as Satan because you have in mind the things of man rather than the things of God. And Jesus hates that when we allow our humanistic thinking to stop the the way of God. And he's doing the same thing here with the Pharisees. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I think one of the, one of the, this particular passage is one of the things that it makes me think about is the sermon on the Mount because he's sort of doing the same exercise that he does on the sermon on the Mount, which is, Hey, you have heard it said such and such, but I tell you that. And that's this basically Jesus says, hey, like, what Moses said was this, but now I'm telling you that unless there's adultery, there shouldn't be divorce. And so it's a moment in which he's refining, I wouldn't say reinterpreting, but I guess really getting to the core of God's heart when it comes to this particular issue. He's really getting to to God's intent He's really getting to God's heart. He's really revealing God's thought and process about divorce. Which is how would you just how would you characterize that God's heart about divorce? Well, let me give you a really long-winded answer here. <laughs> I think one of the interesting things that you see all throughout the Bible especially when you look at the Old Testament. There is no marriage in the Old Testament that we see that is in some degree of horrible. (laughs) Painting with broad strokes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, think think of, of the ones that would come to mind, right? Adam and Eve, they kind of messed up. That marriage wasn't perfect. Their kids weren't perfect. Uh, Abraham and Sarah... You know Isaac and Rebecca. Uh, Isaac and Rebecca. All of all of Abraham's descendants, like the patriarchs, didn't have great marriages. Rachel does me no good in the Old Testament. <laughs> the namesake does not work for you. <laughs> I remember when I first discovered that, I was like heartbroken. <laughs> I was reading it. I mean, even think about somebody like David, even though um his initial marriage is sort of a romantic story and all this other stuff. But then he has concubines and then there's a whole, you know, him murdering somebody else's husband and all this other stuff. Uh, The names are skipping my mind for whatever reason, but David didn't have perfect marriages. We certainly know that his sons didn't have perfect marriages. I mean, even (laughs) at some point, uh, Isaiah is asked to marry a prostitute and that's certainly not a good marriage. What'd you say? Hosea. Oh, Hosea, sorry. Hosea is asked to marry a prostitute, and that's certainly not a good marriage, and even God uses that as an illustration of how Israel treats them. Mm -hmm. So, but interestingly enough, you have 
all of these horrible marriages and not a single divorce. Not a one. Mm-hmm. And so then you sort of fast forward to this scripture with Jesus that we're looking at. And again, let me let me be very clear about this. And, and let me reiterate something that we said at the beginning. There are a lot of questions and there's a lot of circumstances that sort of bring a lot of issues and discussion as to how to apply this teaching that seems to be very narrow that Jesus is teaching. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Um, the whole issue of divorce and remarriage, I think it's a big discussion no matter which church you belong to. But I think you can say with a great degree of certainty that what the Bible teaches us is that to God, divorce is an ideal. That that is not what he desires for marriage to mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. That this union that brings two people and, and transforms them into one is sacred. Yeah. And it we should try really, really hard to keep marriages together. I think regardless of the questions and regardless of the controversies, I think you could say with a great degree of certainty that the Bible teaches us that marriages should stay together. And I know when when I say that, I think about all the yes buts, and as you, the audience, are listening to this, you're going to think like, yes, Rodrigo, but I understand all of those. And do not worry... We're going to discuss a lot of those on our next podcast. We wanted to do a two-parter on this one because it's complicated. But you, biblically speaking, in all the scriptures that address this issue, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, you would have a really hard time to get away from the statement that now I'm going to say for the third time, that God wants marriages to stay together and that divorce is not his ideal. I think that you can't get any clearer than than the idea of God creating man and looking at man and saying, I want to create a perfect mate for you and creating another person and saying that this is my idea is to have people living together and working together and it doesn't say that he made them exactly the same. He said it, he made them unique, that you have man and, and woman being together. And there's nowhere that, that we see anything along the lines of God saying that you have to be exactly alike. But we talk about um, overlooking an offense. We, we talk about um, loving uh, beyond the hurt and the pain that sin can bring about. And we have to keep remembering that God is love. God is love. That everything hinges on that idea and that that understanding. And that the things that we do have to always point back to that. You know, we're I'm a part of a group that uh, is getting ready to do a uh, a class where we're looking at the idea of how does our understanding of relationships and specifically sexuality 
what does that teach us about the character of God? What do we, what do we learn about God by what we know of ourselves and what society is trying to teach us and what, what should, how should we view God? And, um, in the book that I'm reading by a guy named Jonathan Grant, he makes this point that, that traditionally that, that marriage was based on the ideas of affection. You know, I care for the other person, mutual benefit that, that we're, we're working together. I'm taking care of you. You're taking care of me. And this idea of a, a commitment to the common good, meaning that, that the purpose of our marriage is more than just what happens inside of our marriage, but our marriage actually serves to benefit other people that are around us. Mm. And we've actually lost that ideal over time as, as the significance and the priority of religion and God has diminished in our society and in our culture that we see the importance of living godly marriages becoming less important. If God is becoming less important, having a godly marriage is becoming less important. And he states that because relationships are no longer seen from a transcendent perspective, they're divorced from any greater purpose than one's own personal happiness and intimacy. So because I'm no longer viewing my marriage from the perspective of this is something that God has ordained and what happens within my marriage is to show other people the love of God and to help other people because I'm with another person, I can show them love um, in a different way than I could if I was by myself. When I stop viewing this and understanding that that I actually am a part of a higher and greater purpose. When I stop thinking about that greater purpose, my marriage takes on a much more common, unimportant role in my life and in my mind. And what we see is because the author is pointing to that fact as being one of the main reasons why marriages are falling apart, that once I stop caring for you. Once you stop caring for me, there's nothing left. There's no God that's mm. holding it together. And we have to remember that that marriage is based on this idea and understanding that God is love. That without God, that our marriages are just never going to be what they could be without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Jesus talks a lot. Um, in the Gospels about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God has come. And it's like he's taking this sacred relationship of marriage and he's bringing that into the kingdom of God. This is the ideal um, because it's new, what, what you were saying, Ryan, that it's a different level. It's a different ideal. We're holding things to a different standard now. Um, I think when us as people are left to our own devices, we start to, we have the ideal in front of us, but we start to wander (laughs) from that ideal because it's so challenging. You know, I think it's interesting when people say Jesus, or we see movies of Jesus and he's not emotive. (laughs) 
you know, he's very sort of, his face is not emotive and his speech is very kind of monotone and he doesn't really react. But I see Jesus as, you know, he's saying some very strong Mm -hmm. statements in these passages. Um, And I can't imagine him saying these things with absolutely no emotion. And, And it's clear that, I mean, his disciples are having a hard time with it, you know, because they go back and ask him about it later because they want to have a more personal conversation with him. And so, you know, he kind of, he goes into another detail in Mark ten ten. So can you guys talk about, you know, as this conversation keeps going once with the Pharisees, but then also with his personal relationship with his disciples, like what kinds of I want to say colors or perspectives does Jesus bring to this whole conversation of divorce? Yeah, this is, this is a a tough part of um, the scriptures. And this, this is one that I know has been used in ways that, that caused some pain um, in some folks close to me um, because of the mishandling of it. But just to reread the scripture, um, in the New International Version, it says, in 10.10, it says, When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So what we have is, is we've got two people who have said, we are going to represent God's love and we are going to embody God's love between us. And at some point, one of them looked at the other person and said, I'm no longer in this and breaks it off and they get a divorce and then says, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to embody God's love with somebody else. And what Jesus is saying is you cannot treat the love of God. You cannot treat this, this ideal about God in such a, such a, a manner as disrespectful, dishonoring it, belittling the significance of what it is by thinking that you can move from one person to another and recreate the love of God. He does lay the blame on the person who initiated the the divorce. He's not laying the blame on uh, the other person. So the question that I've I've heard and had to to look at myself is what if what if your partner comes to you and says, I want a divorce? And do you accept it and you go through the divorce and are you able to get remarried? And I think what Jesus seems to be saying here is who initiated. Um, and if, if your partner decided to leave you, that's not on you. Um, go and, and show somebody else the love of God um, and get married to them. But if you're the person that left, you, be, you commit adultery by going with somebody else because you have, you have promised yourself to someone and you have decided to leave that relationship and you are now pursuing a, 
a sexual relationship with someone else. And that is not in keeping with, with the love of God, that you have, you have treated it dishonorably and that you are committing adultery. I agree. I agree with um, Ryan. Well, I agree with everything you said, but I especially agree with the part of this that really elevates marriage. And I don't want to get too much into all of the issues. And, and Ryan, I guess from a very personal standpoint, touched on this as far as his family is concerned. And again, we're going to get more into the deeper meanings and all this other stuff about this particular scripture next time. Mm-hmm. You look at something like this, if you really take all the all the controversy and all the issues out of the scripture, the one thing that it does very clearly seem to be doing is elevating marriage mm-hmm. and really putting it in a place that's exceptional. Mm. The issue of divorce isn't in vogue, but it is extremely important. I think we've arrived at a place in our society where divorce has become very commonplace and it's sort of like a frivolous thing. And I think certainly um, the famous and important people of our world uh, don't set an example for us when it comes to this. That has become such a commonplace thing. And that is so far away from where God wants us to uphold marriage. Yeah. Hmm. And I think even the fact that there are so many questions and discussions revolving the issue of marriage and divorce tells us that it's an important mm-hmm. topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should be, this should be, anytime that divorce is mentioned, it should fall under the category of a complex issue. It shouldn't be easy. Yeah. The discussion surrounding it and like all of the stuff surrounding it, it should be complex because we, whenever that is initiated, again, we are taking steps away from what God very clearly seems to want, which is for marriage to be of sacred yeah. union. I think that's an important thing to to keep at the heart of, of the whole discussion is when there are grays and shades of what has happened or what's going on and, and questions that are about the relationship and about the divorces, are we upholding and are we seeking to uphold and to lift up and exemplify the love of God? Whatever we're about to do, is this showing other people the love of God and making decisions and actions based on that, that understanding of whatever is about to happen, does this show people the love of God? Yeah, and I think, you know, to sort of bring this to a conclusion, um, I think allowing Jesus to set before us the ideal, the example, what we should follow, as opposed to how we feel and what we want to follow. Um, You know, I was doing some research about this passage, and it was saying that 
in the generation before Jesus, there was a lot of discussion among rabbis and different schools of thought about divorce and um, the whole exception that you were talking about that's referenced in Matthew about except for, you know, if um, impurity is found in her. Um, and it was talking about how there was two schools of thought and one was very conservative and it only had, it could only be some kind of adultery or something. But another school of thought was very liberal. So a husband could divorce his wife if she burned his food and he didn't like it and he could go to the court and, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and would, could divorce her because of that. And so it's like, the, like what you were saying, Ryan, the Pharisees in the beginning are trying to get Jesus to fall into one camp mm -hmm. or the other. And he doesn't allow them to do that. He brings them back to God. He brings them back to what did God intend in the first place? How does God feel about this? And yes, he made this allowance. That's what they say, that Moses allowed this. Um, but here's what God intended, you know? And I think... What it, what it means is that when we have these conversations, when we have these discussions either with ourselves or with friends, sort of, Ryan, what you've been referencing is that we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful with the word. We need to be careful with other people and their feelings and their emotions because this is a sensitive topic. This is a challenging one that we need to be aware um, of the pitfalls of the way we interpret things or the way we treat people. Because if God is love, like you were saying, Ryan, the reverse is not, um, you know, well, if you don't live up to this ideal, then you're mm -hmm. cut off, you know, because God is love. And how do we, how do we merge that all together in our relationships in a world that's messy that not everything falls along categories or along certain lines. And so, you know, I hope that that people take from this discussion that um, that we need to be loving in our conversations with people about these topics, that there's so much more involved in it than just... Right. Um, ...than just you know, saying sort of extreme statements for the sake of saying extreme mm -hmm. statements. So with that, I think it's a good place to close this podcast. I do want to remind everybody we're going to do part two of this and we're going to have a guest on our next podcast that's going to, I guess, teach us, talk us through a lot of the issues and controversies and discussions surrounding divorce and marriage. So we really look forward to that. Uh, we want to thank you for listening. Remind you that uh, this is a crowdfunded effort and we appreciate your support. And you can uh, find us on social media at EtherMMC. And, you know, let us give us some feedback. Hopefully you've enjoyed this discussion and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one.